welcome to the April 2020 edition of Aon's Retirement Market Update podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and after getting all excited last month about recording the podcast out on location, this month I'm in the slightly surreal position of having to record this one at home. The fact this won't come as a surprise to you is a sign of just how much has changed over the last few weeks. An uninvited visitor that nobody wanted or asked for has come crashing into our lives and got its grubby little fingers all over our nice things. And no, for once I'm not talking about GMP equalisation. The coronavirus outbreak presents significant challenges for all areas of society, and the world of pensions is no different. I'll be talking about some of these challenges later on with today's guests, Vanessa Yeager and Sue Austin, but first let's look at some of this month's other pensions news. At the beginning of March, the pensions regulator launched its consultation on the future funding regime for DB schemes. The consultation proposes that all DB schemes should set a low-risk, long-term objective with a clear journey plan showing how they'll reach this target before they're significantly mature. As expected, the consultation proposes a two-track approach for funding valuations. It also gives some detail on the tests that might be applied for the fast-track option. These look at a number of factors, including the discount rate, the length and shape of the recovery plan, deficit repair contributions versus dividends, the impact of an investment stress test on the funding position, the level of the long-term target, and the length of the journey plan to get there. Some of these factors are likely to vary from scheme to scheme depending on maturity and covenant strength, so this introduces potential issues for schemes where TPR doesn't agree with the trustee's covenant assessment. We don't know exactly what parameters will be used for these fast-track tests yet, but we have developed a model that we're using with our clients to see how close they might be to qualifying. Schemes that don't qualify for fast-track would take the bespoke route. We know that this would allow more flexibility and bring greater scrutiny from TPR, but at this stage we still don't know how this will compare to the current approach or how far schemes would be allowed to stray from the fast-track tests. This consultation is due to close on the 2nd of June, although TPR have said they'll keep this under review given recent developments. We're then expecting a second consultation on the details of the new code of practice later this year, although again the timing of that may be subject to change. On the 11th of March, the new Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, presented his first budget. There was lots of talk about major changes to pensions taxation in the weeks leading up to the budget, but in the end there wasn't a huge amount of pensions-related content. The most significant pensions announcement was a change to the tapered annual allowance that takes effect from the 2020 to 21 tax year. This change was primarily driven by issues with senior doctors in the NHS, but it'll also apply more widely to other high earners. Previously, the annual allowance tapered down from £40,000 to £10,000, with the taper starting at an adjusted income of £150,000. Now, the level at which the taper kicks in will increase to £240,000, but the taper will extend further with the annual allowance for the highest earners now being £4,000. In effect, this means that there's been a relaxation of the allowances for those with an adjusted income of between £150,000 and £300,000, but anyone over £300,000 will be subject to even greater restrictions than before. The other issue the government had promised to address in their last manifesto was the inconsistency between the two different tax relief approaches for those earning less than the personal allowance. The budget didn't directly address this, but it did confirm that the government would shortly publish a call for evidence. Alongside the budget, the Treasury and the UK Statistics Authority published their consultation on the methodology for calculating RPI. 
You may recall that the UK Statistics Authority proposed last year that RPI should effectively be calculated in the same way as the existing CPI-H measure, which would generally lead to lower RPI increases than under the current method. The consultation confirms this change will be made, and the focus is therefore on the timing of the change, which could be any time between 2025 and 2030, and the technical details. In particular, the consultation is silent on the question of whether compensation will be provided to index-linked guilt holders. However, respondents are given the opportunity to comment on broader issues which would be relevant in wider policy contexts. There was no clear market reaction to the consultation, but as it came out during a period of significant market volatility, it's difficult to isolate this from the various other factors. This consultation is due to run until the 22nd of April. The Continuous Mortality Investigation has published its latest set of standard mortality projections called CMI 2019. 2019 saw the strongest full-year mortality improvement in a decade, so we generally expect schemes who use these projections to see a slight increase in their liabilities compared to using CMI 2018, although this would still be a reduction compared to earlier years. Clearly, the CMI 2019 projections are based on data from before the coronavirus outbreak, and it's still far too early to say what impact this might have, but I'm sure we'll be talking about that a lot more once the full picture becomes clearer. And if you'd like more information on this, or of any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. The coronavirus has really been putting the resilience of pension schemes to the test and forcing all of us to work in a way that's quite different from what we're used to. Now, through the magic of the internet, I'm pleased to welcome Vanessa Yeager and Sue Austin, both from Aeon's governance team, to talk about how we can respond to these challenges. So, Sue, if I start with you, give us a summary of what's happening right now. We're facing a period of unprecedented volatility, and that's on a number of different fronts all at the same time, and trying to deal in many cases with some pretty challenging personal circumstances and worries alongside the responsibilities that many have in relation to the pension scheme, be it as a trustee or a pensions manager. But millions of people are reliant on their pension arrangements and being able to provide them with the benefits when they need them. And so we must ensure that we keep on top of everything. So, yeah, there's a lot of different moving parts here. And I think a lot of people would automatically focus on the investment and covenant issues. But what else do you think boards should be thinking about here? Well, to me, the first thing to do is to ensure that your governance structure is and remains fit for purpose through this time. So check what your rules say about how many trustees you need and how your trustees can make decisions. Change it now. If there's a possibility, it won't be flexible enough to deal with a number of your trustees being off sick or caught up entirely in company business for the foreseeable future. And if you haven't already got one, think about setting up an emergency decision-making subcommittee, making sure the terms set out clearly in what circumstances such a committee can act so important action isn't stopped by the inability to get enough people together to make a decision. And what sort of issues are we talking about here? Well, where do we start? So huge falls in equity markets and historically low interest rates causing havoc on pension schemes investments. And that has an impact both on the funding of defined benefit arrangements or from an individual's perspective on a defined contribution scheme, it might impact on their you know, retirement benefits if they're expecting to retire shortly. We've also got trustees having to deal with a number of different significant issues all at the same time, as well as keeping the business as usual activity going. 
So monitoring the investment situation at the same time as checking their administrators can carry on providing service to members, at the same time as dealing with huge swings in cash requirements as collateral for the hedged liability-driven investments. Also a reliance on third-party providers who may also be having to adapt very quickly to a different way of working just when you need them most. And for many sponsors, at the same time, having faced a cliff-edge cessation in the markets that they operate in as a result of the lockdown, and company directors having to rethink business plans dramatically to conserve cash. It's all very challenging and requires everyone to adapt very quickly. So I guess a lot of people's initial reaction might have been to either cancel or defer trustee meetings, but with events looking likely to last a lot longer now, how are boards adapting to that? Well, to be honest, from what I've seen, most trustee boards and sponsors are adapting pretty well in the circumstances. That's often being driven by an urgent need to address something. The virtual meetings that seemed unthinkable to many trustee boards a couple of weeks ago have now become commonplace. Um, We've produced a guide to help those trustee boards who are less familiar in working this way. None of this is new. There are lots of resources out there now to help, and we're learning all the time about how to make these meetings really effective. The key one for me is the first one, bite-sized chunks, or eating the elephant one bite at a time, to put it another way. Given we're likely to be working this way for a sustained period of time, I think we need to accept that we'll need more frequent but shorter meetings in order to be able to both deal with the urgent issues facing us today, but also ensure that the business as usual activity doesn't slip. At this point in time, having good governance around all of the activities is absolutely key. So Vanessa, turning to you, what would you say the core operational priorities are? So there are a number of areas which we recommend are reviewed as part of any crisis resilience planning. So Once you've got your governance structure sorted, you probably want to look at your cash management plans. So there may be demands for further collateral payments, pensions need to be paid for DB schemes, there's the potential for benefit outgo demands to increase, and there may also be challenges with sponsor contributions. Trustees should work with their sponsors and advisors to understand their specific circumstances to check if there could be cash flow challenges either now or in the coming months, and to establish contingency plans, as well as a simple process to monitor demand. And do we expect to see any challenges for members specifically? Well, continuity in administration processes will be critical for both DB and DC schemes. Trustees and sponsors should already have been seeking evidence that their administrators have implemented their business continuity plans effectively, So making sure that all systems can be accessed, that all core financial transactions can still be fulfilled and remote working is effective. But there may need to be easements in future depending on how things unfold. For example, if staffing numbers reduce or volumes of member cases increase, inquiries may take longer than normal to answer. And it's useful to have a pre-agreed plan of how to respond in this scenario. So do you think people should be communicating with their members now about the current situation? And if so, what should they be saying? Each scheme will need to assess their own communication requirements and plan accordingly. Many schemes are already sharing information on investment markets, on their member websites, or providing reassurances that pensions will still be paid. For DC members, particularly those approaching retirement, there may be some real concerns about the impact on their retirement pots. And so members may be seeking further support to understand their options. 
And the regulator has highlighted growing concern about members being vulnerable to scams at the current time. In an environment where individuals will be keen to access cash, getting the messaging right can be valuable. So spending time on establishing a communications policy now is really, really worthwhile. And do you think schemes should be trying to capture all of this information somewhere? As we've highlighted, there's, there's a lot of things to think about. And some schemes have already well placed and have tried and tested plans, which already capture some of this information. But for those that don't, this is the perfect opportunity to document the decisions they're taking and to learn from this experience to make sure that all these efforts are not lost. Unfortunately, it's highly likely that there will be other events in the future which impact the delivery of services, and that could be for a whole host of reasons. So yes, it's valuable to capture your actions in a business continuity plan, and in time to expand this to manage and deal with future incidents. So I guess for both of you, what would you say the top three actions that people should be taking now are? Well, so for me, it's your governance structure, making sure you've got the right governance structure in place that's fit for purpose now and also for whatever gets thrown at you in the future. And then secondly, it's prioritising. So working out what are your key priorities for your specific scheme, and they'll be different for every scheme. And then it's thirdly, monitor check in regularly as to what's happening and be ready to adapt as things unfold. We're not expecting schemes to magic solutions overnight. We recognise it will take time to establish a new norm. But with good planning now, you should be better placed to ride out the coming months. Okay, well, that gives us all a lot to think about over the next few months. Thank you very much to both of you for joining me today. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you. Just a couple of final points on coronavirus before we go. TPR has issued some guidance to help trustees focus their response, and this talks about the risk of pension scams, the importance of continuing to pay benefits, and the potential strains on sponsoring employers. Aon have also created a coronavirus response site, which brings together all the relevant material we've created for clients and contacts in the UK. This will continue to be updated as the situation develops, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. It's also clear that some things will have to take a bit of a back seat during this period. TPR have already confirmed that they'll be suspending their regulatory initiatives and postponing their consultation on the single modular code of practice, and the progress of the pension schemes bill through the House of Lords has been paused until after Easter. There may well be more examples of this to come. Right, that's all we have time for today. Thanks again to my guests, Sue Austin and Vanessa Yeager, and thanks to you for joining us. Maybe you're listening back to this podcast from a utopian future where we're all free to roam the streets without a hazmat suit. But if not, stay at home, stay safe, and I'll be back again with more of this nonsense next month. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify, so you never miss an episode. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.